Welcome to episode 13 of Mancy, a podcast about magic and the fucked up shit people did with it, and of course, how it has impacted our culture. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. With me is my co-host, Elle. I'm Elle Alder, and I've been a professional psychic for seven years, and I'm a solitary eclectic witch. We discussed some of the folklore and superstitions surrounding mirrors, as well as the Bloody Mary myth. The strange face effect occurs when someone stares into a mirror for an extended period of time, and the facial recognition center of their brain misfires. Staring into a dimly lit mirror can cause you to hallucinate, see spirits, or be unable to recognize your own reflection. It can also cause your reflection to fade away or move in ways you wouldn't expect. Now, scrying mirrors are typically black mirrors, and they have been for a long time. They're also typically used in the dark or very dim lighting. So right now our lights are real dim. We're in a very (laughs) dark recording studio. And there's an idiom that goes, like looking into a mirror darkly, uh, which is you're seeing the reflection of something that isn't necessarily true. Like you're only getting parts of something, Mm -hmm. like partial input. Um, But that actually comes from the Bible. First Corinthians 13. And it was actually one of the scriptures they had me memorize in seminary. I did four (laughs) years of seminary growing up Mormon. Um, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, Mm. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things." For now, we see through a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as also I am known. See, I'm basically like, well, when you get to heaven, um, then you'll get the whole picture. We don't got to explain it all right now. It's really complicated. I, oh, yeah, I'm I think this is why I'm basically incompatible with Christian ideologies because I think that information is power and I think that we should all have as much information as humanly possible for us to make the best choices possible. Yeah, uh, at least that's kind of how we were we were taught to use this like as missionaries was to use this to say like listen I know it seems confusing. I know you might not get it all, but that's because you're mortal and you don't understand the divine all the way yet. And you will. Uh, but if you just obey God's rules, uh, then you'll have a perfect knowledge. Like when you. you okay, know. I want to share something super icky about LDS stuff. Yeah. Stuff. Um, so I've never, I was not raised Mormon. I like, we didn't even, like, we barely went to church on Christmas and Easter because my dad is a musician and he would play in the, it, like on those big services. So we would go literally when my dad performed. I was not raised Christian at all. I actually went to, I went to one year of Lutheran school uh, because I was a very troubled young kid. <laughs> um, but when I was in high school, one of my friends um, was pretty Christian and she was like looking for other kids who were just as Christian as she was. And she found, of course, the Mormons because they're super, super dedicated to being religious, especially when they're young because you got to start the programming when they're like eight to believe that they can't have friends outside. Oh. Of Mormons. Oh no! The the programming starts definitely before Zero. you're eight years old. Yeah, um, but like at eight, they're no like when you 
are around 12, they no longer let you play with kids outside of the church. And so they really have to start, like, hitting it hard on that. Um, so she found some Mormons and – well, she didn't find them. She was friends with them and was kind of, like, getting ready to convert. And she told me this, I think, about three months after she was baptized when she wanted to leave the church, um, which did <laughs> not fucking take Instant long. Regret. <laughs> Instant regret. Yeah. So <laughs> – um, she told me that when she met with her bishop right before she got baptized, like maybe the night before, because I think you go have a meeting with them and then figure out your whatever. Yeah. Like if you if you like smoke or have committed certain sins, you have to like go through a whole repentance like, process. Yeah. Confession kind of a thing. Yeah. Um. So she went to her bishop and she was like, you know. I really feel good about transitioning, like converting, transitioning. Um, it feels really good to me. I'm really excited about it. But I really have issues with how the church handles gay people. Like I really have issues with like the passages and like that we're not okay with gay people. Like I just – I don't feel good about that. And her bishop was like, get baptized and it will all come to you. And oh, yeah. she was like, Because right now yeah. you're looking through a mirror darkly. But you when you're baptized, no it will become when, clear. Then you will have – and you know what? The Mormons still hate gay people. They're still awful to gay people. And they're still got awful to every other kind of person that is not fucking Mormon and with blonde hair and blue eyes and white and in, all that In Utah. Bullshit. Like, outside of Utah, Mormons are very different. Um, sure. I mean, we can say that. Um, that's fine. I know a lot of them. I lived in Wyoming for a bit and I knew a lot of Mormon people. And I have to say they're not really all that different. And they all just wanted to move to Salt Lake anyway. Anyway. I mean, you're, yeah. you're kind of in the Book of Mormon belt. But I think that there is a – like when you look at Mormons that are in like New York, for example. I know. I dated from, a guy who was from, from California that was Mormon and his family lived in Florida. And he was still super Mormon. Yeah, but there's there's this different attitude that comes from being basically part of um, this entire like – being the the vast majority and being in control of all of like the local government and everything versus being like the weird kid who was Mormon in high school and people didn't understand it. I think that Well, I don't think that anyone understands lens. being Mormon, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm just yeah, yeah. I'm not for I'm not pro Mormon in any stretch of the word. It's just in any way. living in Utah, you just feel this like oppressive like Mormonism wave on you all the time. Yeah, I mean, I deal like the vast majority of my clients have a huge, huge amounts of trauma to do with how they were raised and leave and losing their families when they leave the church and all sorts of stuff. And it's just yeah, I just oh yeah. trust me, I know. No, I know that you know. Yeah, yeah. probably R J might be one of the most extreme examples of like. Like the real like true trauma that comes from the church and families and all that. And anyway. like Utah is 100 percent like a Mormon ethno state. Um. <laughs> Which actually it's super weird because people are like, well, how do you own a metaphysical store? And like how are you a psychic in Salt Lake City? And the answer is that people just leave us the fuck alone because I'm already going to hell. I have tattoos. I dye my hair funny colors. I have piercings all over. And people are like, yeah, whatever you are, I don't, I don't want to engage with it. So then the Mormons just leave me alone. Yeah, it's like in Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere where um, once you become disenfranchised, you basically enter another like fantasy dimension. And that's why you don't see homeless people people in London because yeah. they're in this other dimensional plane that they you, just don't right? exist yeah they just don't exist to you um, and so Neil Gaiman wrote a whole book about that and I really connected I was like yeah when you lose your faith and just get disowned and disfellowshipped by Mormonism in growing up in Utah you just like fall into this other dimension and find weird 
clown drag shows and like fucking I, crazy, yeah. crazy underground have, honestly, bars. Honestly, actually, like, <laughs> um, Salt, I don't know if this is true anymore, but when I was in high school, Salt Lake City has the biggest um, queer population per capita west of the Mississippi besides San Francisco. And like it's a thing because people can just move here and largely get left alone. Yeah, there's a whole neighborhood that people call the Gayborhood. Yeah, the Gayborhood or Gay Ghetto. Uh, yeah. Lovingly. Referring to it there, and it's actually uh, where the um, the victims of police violence, like murals and monuments to yeah. all the people that police have killed in Utah, is is currently like painted at, and you can drive by and like see all the faces mm-hmm. uh, brilliantly created. Um, it's, anyway, that was yeah. a big departure. But yeah, being being uh, not Mormon in Utah is really not as big of a problem as one might think. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like with this idiom, like into a mirror darkly, it's also the name of a Star Trek episode. Oh, wow. Uh, got to rope it on back to some nerd culture. <laughs> yep. In which the crew of the Enterprise confronts their dark mirror versions of themselves. Uh, and as a parody of the phrase, Philip K. Dick wrote a book titled A Scanner Darkly. And – it is a surreal book about a near apocalyptic future where the United States is badly losing the war on drugs because they were always going to lose. Uh, <laughs> and it's escalated. Hey, well, I think that we've had a breakthrough on the war on drugs, though, with the opioid <laughs> yeah. stuff. Anyway, sorry. And uh, – there's a new drug called Substance D, which causes severe hallucinations, and 20% of the entire population of the U.S. is addicted. And that is a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, in response, the U.S. has set up an invasive surveillance state, like the war on drugs in Philip K. Dick's book, creates the surveillance state or helps bump up the surveillance state, which, like, it has in real life mm-hmm. since he wrote the book. And the main character is an undercover operative who immerses himself in underground drug circles. He slowly begins to doubt his own identity as he does these drugs, gets addicted, uses a, like, shape-shifting, like, disguise, um, and just gets lost in his, like, undercover operation. And as somebody with prosopagnosia or face blindness, uh, it was pretty profound for me. <laughs> yeah. Especially there's an there's an animated film that used uh, a new type of rotoscoping animation. It looks really bizarre. There was also a Prime Original series that used this. Mm-hmm. But they filmed it in live action and then literally painted over the film, like the existing film. Okay. And it stars Keanu Reeves. Woody Harrelson and Robert Downey Jr. Oh yeah, star-studded fucking <laughs> cast, and it's it's really good like indie film. Mm. Uh, you should check it out, and it'll it. I mean, it's Philip K. Dick. It's it's bizarre, mm. and of course, one of my favorite Netflix shows is Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a reference to the Black Mirror of a smartphone or a TV screen, but it's also a reference to catoptromancy or mirror divination. At the end of the day, what is a TV or a smartphone if not a black mirror? We search for images and knowledge in, just like we're using it for scrying. Uh, so for this episode, L is going to perform. Catoptromancy using the black mirror of an iPad. This is part two of Catoptromancy. Divination by gazing into a mirror darkly.
last time we talked about a scrying mirror known only as the Dark Mirror, which is sitting in the traveling museum of the paranormal and occult. It was donated to them by a woman who wished to remain anonymous after her mother began to go mad while using it for scrying in a homemade psychomantium. If you recall, a psychomantium is a dark room, dimly lit, usually with a single candle, where you stare into a mirror in an attempt to contact the dead or perform divination. The museum's curator has stated that most of the donated items are just spooky-looking trinkets with creepy <laughs> backstories that don't uh, seem to be acting up or doing anything haunted. But the mirror was different. While most of the objects were keen to just be regular objects, uh, when people went through the museum and interacted with the objects, nothing bad happened, nothing spooky happened, but then the mirror started to affect the patrons that would look into it. Ooh. Now, before we get into that, we have an extra spell from our sponsor, Wasatch Wearables. The last extra spell was about Bloody Mary. You'd go into a bathroom, shut the lights off, and say Bloody Mary three times into the mirror on Halloween or at midnight or 3 a.m., and she would appear. This was actually based on a Russian divination game played by young women to try to see who their future husbands would be or see their own corpse, meaning they will die alone. <laughs> Bloody Mary isn't an actual woman named Mary. It's just a question. Will I be bloody or will I be married? However, Bloody Mary isn't the only bathroom mirror ghost. <gasps> what? Yeah. In Japan, there's the legend of Hanako-san, who haunts the bathroom mirrors in schools. And she is the subject of our extra spell. Mm. The legend of Hanako-san varies from telling to telling like any urban legend or ghost story. But very much like Bloody Mary, it's just how adolescents have been scaring themselves for generations in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I think in Japan especially, they have so much like... Um, the is it Jukoban? What is Jikobukin? Jikobukin, yeah, that's so fascinating to me. Like the a lot of stuff in Japan is about the energy of things and what kind of remains and the history of stuff. It's super interesting. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from like Shintoism and just the belief in that all living things have spirits yeah. that need to be like respected. Otherwise, they'll fuck you up. Well, uh, I mean, we should. Yeah, thus, we should be respecting thus things. Thus the thesis of every Miyazaki mm -hmm. movie. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, Hanako-san uh, depict, is depicted as a yokai, uh, which is a vengeful spirit or a ghostly monster or mm. just, you know, a ghost. Uh, <laughs> But a yokai is usually like a demon ghost. Okay. Um, she's depicted as a young girl with a bob haircut and a red dress. That's pretty consistent along all the tellings. Okay. And also the fact that she will be found in a school bathroom. And you have to perform a special ritual just like with Bloody Mary. Okay. Some stories say that she was the victim of child abuse. She got in trouble in class and her parent murdered her in the bathroom when they took the abuse too far. Mm. Another story says she was killed by a child murderer who was hiding in the bathroom stall. Yet another story was that she committed suicide. But I think the most common story, and the one that really drew me, was that she was a child during World War II and was hiding in the school bathroom from an American air raid while the rest of her class were in a shelter. She died when the bombs fell and blew up the bathroom. Mm. 
which like yeah that sounds scary as fuck yeah God. <laughs> like uh so you summon hanako-san by entering a girl's bathroom usually one on the third floor of the school then okay. you go to the third stall and knock three times on the door. We love our trinities, don't yeah, we? <laughs> we do. The human brain creates patterns in threes and fives. And so obviously it's a magic number. Got it. Um, so you knock three times on the stall door and you ask if Hanako-san is there. If she's there, she'll reply with something to the effect of, yes, I am. <laughs> Cute. Yes, I'm here. Yeah. If she's there and you open the bathroom stall, she'll be covered in blood grab you, and drag you into the toilet and down to hell. God damn. Yeah. Well, why do, why do we have to be on the third floor? That's like that's even longer to go to get to hell. Yeah. Well, anyway. uh, I mean, who knows? Who knows where the floor of hell is? <laughs> I mean, hell is just another dimension. It's <laughs> literal molecules away <laughs> from the, us right now. It doesn't toilet. matter. Or if you're a person who is mean to little girls or children... Uh, then <laughs> she has a three-headed lizard that will bite you from <laughs> under the stall and devour you. <laughs> like a um, Komodo dragon? That's what I'm imagining. I'm, I'm imagining like three lizard, lizard Cerberus. Yeah. And the middle <laughs> one is always the meanest. We've decided yeah. the middle head of Cerberus is the meanest one. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's constantly, he's got like one on one side, one on the other side. And so he's, he's grumpy kinda, all the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, never has a moment's peace. Um, <laughs> but if you respect her privacy and you're also not mean to little girls or children, you'll see her in the mirror waving and smiling at you. Cute. Then she can answer questions or even grant wishes. Wishes? Wishes. Should we go try to find her? We are at a school. Um, RJ, before we sat down to record, had a very spooky bathroom experience with the lights not turning on and just... Yeah, so the bathrooms here at Salt Lake Community College uh, have like an automatic like motion sensor. And when you walk in, they're supposed to turn on. But they didn't. And I was like, okay. So I just turned on my phone light and I was like, guess I'm pooping in the dark. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> graphic thank you yeah and uh so i'm sitting on the toilet you know lit by the light mm -hmm. of my phone and then the lights just come on randomly and i'm like mm, okay mm. spooky not like we're talking about bathroom ghosts today um <laughs> uh, and uh then i go to wash my hands and my face to get the leftover croissant bits out of my beard mm -hmm. uh and uh the sink turns on, but it shoots at, like, a weirdly high pressure. And I'm like, okay, it's starting to spray all over me. I'm like, eh, we'll, we'll just deal with it, I guess, and get a little wet. Uh, but then the sink wouldn't turn off. It's one of those motion sensor sinks. And I, like, mm -hmm. clean the sensor, and it would not turn off. So I was like, okay. And then on my way out, I found the light switch. So I turned it off. And when I turned it off, the sink turned off, and then I turned it back on. And the sink did not turn back on. So I fixed the problem. Uh, That's so weird to me. Like, why would that be the... Um, I I don't know. I think it was just a coincidence. but Or maybe just the sensor was getting varying amounts of light and didn't know how to adjust for the changing in the lights when the room was but dark. Wouldn't, wouldn't the sensor in front of it be... Like, if it is light sensitive, wouldn't it come on when it's dark? Because that would be the thing that would cause it because it sees the shadow of your hands. I don't know. No idea. It was just a weird moment. And you know what? I just don't think your justification makes sense with it. I it, think it was haunted. Yeah. Well, 
<laughs> a lot of the students think the the sinks at Slick are haunted because they never turn on or off when you want them to. And sometimes they'll just you'll walk into the room, you'll just be pooping away, and then the sinks will turn on randomly and nobody will be there. Uh, so haunted sinks at Salt Lake Community College. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you're a fucking weeb <laughs> like me. It's Hanukkah-san. And then you may have read the manga Toilet-Bound Hanukkah-san or seen the anime that is just released this year in 2020. It's about <laughs> a kid who takes up the dare to summon Hanako and becomes accidentally bound to her spirit. Then he has to help Hanako fight off other spirits and maintain the integrity of human folklore. <laughs> and I'm going to start this show very soon. <laughs> I'm excited. That's fair. <laughs> and that was the extra spell, courtesy of Wasatch Wearables. Wasatch Wearables specializes in dye sublimated products. The ink chemically binds with polyester fibers of the fabric or surface when heated. There is absolutely no feel to the design, and it will last the lifetime of the garment. This method is superior to other ink transfers like vinyl and screen printing, which crack and fade over time. They can sublimate on designs, tote bags, mugs, masks, business cards, ornaments, or any kind of garment. You can find Wasatch Wearables on Facebook, Instagram, and Etsy. Use promo code MANCY for 10% off your purchase. And check out our cool merch from Wasatch Wearables on our website, mancypodcast.com. And now, back to Catoptromancy. I'm ready. And the cursed scrying mirror known as the Dark Mirror. After the traveling museum of the paranormal and occult acquired the mirror, they began to display it with the other objects. While following Nick Joff, Geoff, Goff. Nick, from Ghost Adventures? Nick Goff. Nick Goff. Nick Goff. Of Ghost Adventures fame. (laughs) You have to leave that part where I knew his fucking name. And I'm like, no, no, no. Nick Goff from Ghost Adventures? Nick Nick Goff of Ghost Adventures fame on tour. Like, the museum was like, we're going to follow Ghost Adventure tour. I think it was after Nick Goff left Ghost Adventures. I was going to say, did Nick leave? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it was the tour he did after he left Ghost Adventures. The mirror started to affect patrons on this tour. While they were stopped at the Perryville Battlefield, which is a haunted Civil War battlefield. Is that in Kentucky? Um, I think so. We saw this episode. I'm pretty sure it's in Kentucky, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was like the house that still had like the Civil War bullet wounds on it. and and, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The mirror started drawing a bit of a crowd like before they were even opened. This was the first time they had it on public display. Before... They were even, like, totally set up. People started to inquire as to what was under the weird black sheet. The curator told them that they were allowed to look at it and hold it so long as they did so at their own risk. People were like, no. (laughs) Hell no. (laughs) I'm not doing that. But one woman appeared to be entranced by the mirror. She took the veil off and stared into it. Patrons watched her gaze into the glass mirror for, like, the black glass for 30 seconds, and slowly her face twisted in horror. She slammed the mirror face down on the table and rubbed her eyes. When asked what she saw, she said, I saw my own body decomposing in front of me. That was a dark mirror. I should not have done that. I have to go say a prayer. <laughs> Jesus. And then she left. <laughs> I guess 
<laughs> to go say a prayer. Oh, man. I get these clients. These Like, I have so many clients that are like, I'm like, have you ever had a reading before? And they're like, well, one time before the ghosts ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's not very funny, but I'm just like, I know these clients. Yeah. Yeah. But that was how the dark mirror got its name because she said that's, a, a, dark that's a dark mirror. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, Should the, not have done that. Yeah, yeah. Other patrons tried the mirror and many saw just their own reflection. Others, though, saw things they would not even talk about mm-hmm. or saw their own corpse like the first lady. They would report warping faces, strangers standing next to them, dark visions of the future – the mirror seemed only to show horror and despair to anyone who used it for scrying. Mm. Another mm. woman decided that she would touch the glass, and when she did, her palm was perfectly imprinted on it. And she tried to rub it off, but it wouldn't come off. She spent... She belongs to the mirror now. <laughs> yeah, she belonged to the mirror. <laughs> she spent two hours furiously rubbing the mirror, like with her shirt and a cloth, to try to get her palm print to disappear. As she did so, the mirror showed her her decaying corpse over and over, and other visions that she just refused to speak of. She got more and more furious with her polishing and then threatened to smash the mirror if it didn't stop. After that threat, her handprint disappeared. Like the mirror was like, okay, fine, fine. I really I, alone. I want to see this mirror. I want to hold it. I want to know. I want to know what's going on with it. Because it's really interesting. So obsidian is gl- black glass. It's glass. And so I think it probably is made out of black obsidian. Um, obsidian is a protective and grounding stone, so people use it. You can also put spirits in stones much easier than you can put spirits in mirrors and so there probably is something attached to it and my guess is that someone bound something to the mirror and it's just like probably not demonic but probably just some like bothered mean spirit who just wants to fuck with people (laughs) there's probably like this is probably like totally fucking like the vast majority of the time when like you're like oh i have a ghost like the ghost is just fucking with you because it's fun like they're not really actually trying to like cause harm it's very very rare that spirits are actually trying to cause harm so people probably are just like horrified by it reflecting all the things that they've done to fuck up their life and like the ghost probably just thinks it's funny like take that you fucking rube yeah and it's like i don't want to get broken out of here i'll take away your palm print i guess but just remember and probably just like feeds off of like the terror it brings people and thinks it's funny So when the tour ended, the curator brought it home, and as he was placing the object in his home for storage, he found himself just staring into space, just like zoning out. Mm -hmm. And when he snapped back to reality, he realized that he'd set up the mirror on the table without remembering, still covered in its black veil, and he had been staring at it for an unknown amount of time. The sun was starting to go down, and the light was becoming dim. He said the mirror wanted him to use it. Mm-hmm. He said he was compelled to use it. Mm-hmm. But after hearing the accounts from patrons, he was too afraid. <laughs> so the in, from the first part, the mom who built the, the psychomantium, did she mean to do that? Or was it another kind of trance thing that happened? Uh, it doesn't say. It's just okay. that when she came and she found there her mom had just, just a like built a house. psychomantium for Ooh, this it mirror. It just got cold in here. Mm, It did. I got goosebumps. It's chilly. 
Maybe it's uh, the Ouija board ghost. Probably. <laughs> still, Jesus. Still in here just like, you fucking. Probably the person on TikTok that was like, you shouldn't play with <laughs> Ouija boards yeah. was right. And now uh, we're just haunted forever. Yeah. Well, that's okay. It was, it was already haunted. I don't believe in that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he said his mind was just like playing tricks on him, but mm-hmm. he managed to resist the urge to look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Then... He took the mirror back out on tour and went to the Penhurst Asylum in uh, Pennsylvania. Yep, yep. Once again, the dark mirror would be the centerpiece of the museum drawing the most interest. The Penhurst Paranormal Society asked about it before they were, you know, officially opened, and their resident skeptic wanted to give it a try. She took the black veil off and stared into it. Anyway, we we just confirmed. I was like, I had a hiccup, and so we paused for a minute, and then we just confirmed it's Nick Groff yeah. with an R. I spelled it wrong, or maybe autocorrect got me, but it's Nick, Nick Groff, Groff is of the, Ghost Adventures of, Ghost fame. Adven- of no longer Ghost Adventures, but yeah. Of Ghost Adventures fame. fame. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> this is how him. we will say. Um, anyway, so the skeptic from the Penhurst pa- Paranormal Society was like, I'm going to give this a try, took the black veil off, stares into it, and after looking in it for a bit, she, des- she said that she saw her reflection whisper something to her silently. None of the people watching her said that her lips moved, though. Mm. Later that night, more people provided disturbing accounts from staring into the mirror. One big tough guy in particular shrugged off the warnings and held up the mirror while laughing. He looked at his reflection, stumbled back, almost dropping the mirror, and he began to shout profanities. And he put the mirror back on the table face down and said that he saw someone who looked just like him peer out from behind his reflection in the dark mirror and then walk away. So just like a fucking little like shoulder goblin that looks just like him was like, hey there, what's going on? Ooh, yeah, anyway, I need to go fuck off. And then like walked away. And he was like, oh, fuck. Fuck. You know, I – maybe I'm just desensitized because I see shit all the time because I always see spirits. But that probably wouldn't creep me out. I would just assume that's like my higher self being like – Ayo. I'd be creeped out. I'd be like, oh, fuck, what's this other stranger looking at me? I do feel like, um, <laughs> so RJ and I went to a haunted house, which is like a modified haunted house in COVID times. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a scaredy cat. And so I get freaked out by things. So I just have to like, in the moment, be like, it's not real. It's not real. These are actors. They're doing their job. Don't worry. RJ definitely gets spooked a lot easier than I do. Is that not the fucking point, though? <laughs> it is. It's just funny. <laughs> Because I'm like, I probably would be creeped out by this. You're like, I would. And I'm like, that's not hard for me to imagine at all yet. <laughs> so the hallucinations in the mirror started to reach beyond just visual. People reported feeling jolts of electricity in their arms when they were holding it. One woman reported that her mouth was filling up with the taste of blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Kirkland, one of the organizers of the tour, took the mirror into one of the Penhurst Asylum's quiet rooms, like the most hauntedest rooms in the Penhurst Asylum. And after gazing for half an hour, she returned in a panic, saying she saw people walking around behind her in the empty room. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Scary. I just, is that not what they're trying to do? I know, that's exactly what they're trying like to do. A, yeah, anyway, it's fine. Just a paranormal investigation is just like scaring yourself and then pretending that's a job. Um. You know, honestly, 
I kind of agree. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's real great to watch. Uh, it is, and yeah. And you know what, boys? Good work you're doing out there. <laughs> yeah, Ghost Adventures is really entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's a good time. And, and all you local, you know, paranormal investigators, just way to go. You made it. You made it. <laughs> you know? We should ask Zach Bagans if he wants a reading. <laughs> we should. Uh, I think the Ogden Paranormal Society would be down. Because I've I've met them before, and they're very nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not of Ghost Adventures fame, but you know, Elle yeah. is like no. <laughs> I I try not to get too much into the politics of like spiritual stuff in the metaphysical world, especially in communities where people know me. Um, like I have like questionable thoughts about a lot of paranormal investigations. This is a thing that a lot of people don't know, but when you go investigate haunted places, they actually force you to sign contracts saying that you won't move any spirits on. And I, like, on a fundamental level, one, I'm really fucking confused about how that works because are you going to, like, sue me? Are we going to go to court and you're going to say, oh, there's one ghost that was there? Low-key, I want to see that courtroom drama. That's Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) I don't... How would you even prove that? I want to see that shit on Judge Judy. Two, I have issues because, like... We all know I take my work very seriously. I really believe what I do. I want to help people. All of my work centers around, like, how can I help one person that I'm with at a time? Um, And, like, it bothers me that people um, benefit from these spirits' pain. Like, that they – and there's a difference between ghosts that want to be stuck. There's, like, a ghost that's out at Asylum 49, uh, which Ghost Adventures has covered several different times. A lot of um, paranormal investigations have. And he fucking loves it there. Like, I've done investigations there. He's head honcho. He doesn't want to move on. That's what he's doing. He thinks it's funny to, like, antagonize people. He's really not that evil. Like, all of that stuff. And that's what he wants to do. But there are spirits in that building because it's a vortex because they don't know where they're going because they get confused because there's mirror mazes because there's all sorts of stuff that keeps spirits there that don't want to be there and it really bothers me that people go into situations with these tormented souls and then they fucking use that to make money and turn around and say well what do you want to talk to do you want to talk to your dead mom how about you can pay me to talk to your dead mom but these other people's dead mom that got stuck in this cemetery i'm just going to use her to prove that ghosts are real so i get more business that's an issue for me. Well. That's really an issue for me. Mm. So, anyway. Interesting. That's my hot take the, for today. Ghost ethics, which is our, yeah. our follow-up to yeah. Ghost Adventures. It's very boring. It's just comparison. me yelling about it's, bad psychics <laughs> and bad practices and ethics and, yeah. Ghost ethics. Uh, <laughs> I do have to say I'm finding some newfound freedom and uh, being able to talk about stuff, though, that I'm like, nah, I don't agree with that. So, you know, it's all good. So after the curator takes the mirror home after the Penhurst Asylum thing, uh, he puts it on the end table and leaves the black veil on it because it's spooky. And uh, he just, like, crashed after his long drive from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And when he awoke, the veil that covered the mirror was on the ground. And both of his cats were staring into the mirror, eyes darting around, heads bobbing like they were tracking prey in a window. He quickly covered the mirror back up. And after that, the cats would not come anywhere near that mirror, even Mm -hmm. fleeing when he would bring it into a room or presented it. Each morning, he'd find the mirror uncovered again. 
he placed a camera to monitor it and found that three of the seven nights he monitored it, the veil seemingly slipped off on its own. Further attempts to film the mirror resulted in memory card damage. Mm. Uh, So the memory card would just become corrupted. Some footage just could not be obtained at all for some of the nights. Mm -hmm. The museum would take the mirror to the Ohio State Reformatory, where one of the more unusual things would affect patrons through the mirror. Several say they saw a black mass moving just over their left shoulder. Other reports say they watched their reflections rapidly age by like 40 years. A pair of local radio hosts tried the mirror live on air, and the one looking into the mirror began freaking out. He said he saw his reflection smile and give an evil grin. (laughs) And when he saw that, he shouted, holy shit, and covered the mirror back up. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Um, I would say, I don't like that. Nope, don't like that. And then just cover it. Because that's what I do when things are too spooky. I'm like, nope, don't like that. That shit reminds me of motherfucking Hereditary, where he, like, sees his reflection in the glass and his reflection is just given this, like, evil fucking smile. Yeah. Ew. Ew. Yeah. (laughs) It turned out the mirror was also a bad influence on all the other objects that it was displayed with as well. (laughs) Objects that were supposedly haunted that had never shown any true paranormal activity until they were left with the mirror at night. Uh, Their haunted painting, when the mirror was facing it, threw itself from the wall. Nope. I can't. (laughs) I can't do it. You know the, like, the painting with the guy and it just has to look across the mirror and he's like, yeet. (laughs) He's like, fuck. (laughs) Not doing that. (laughs) I wonder if it was. um, If it was, yeah, from last week, the scream. One of the the ones, the the anguished man. Yeah, the anguished man. Uh, And he was like, no. Or the the, the eBay one, um, the hands resist him. The hands resist him. Resist him, yeah. and they're like, "Don't I have enough suffering?" Yeah. <laughs> off the fucking, <laughs> off the hook. Yeah, uh, or maybe it was a crying boy. They just didn't get oh, the burning, yeah. the burn down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then their haunted doll disappeared one night, and they did. She just go for a little. They little couldn't find around? it. They still haven't found it. Oh, just gone forever. <laughs> just gone forever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a haunted doll wandering around. I guess. From this museum. It probably like wandered into someone's house with all their doll collections. Maybe and... it just fucking crawled in the mirror. Like who who fucking knows? Yeah, like dolls. <sighs> Could be. Could be. Uh, their partially burned Ouija planchette, which I think is from like a Ouija board that was like so cursed that they had to like burn it to like cleanse mm. the demons or something. So he's a partially burned Ouija board planchette. And he said that he heard it making noises at night like it was moving around in its case. Hmm. It was trying to spell out. Yeah, it was trying to spell out, fuck this mirror. <laughs> Get it away from me. Now, now, Zozo, Zozo. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you who don't know, Zozo is like a supposed Ouija board demon. If it spells out Z-O-Z-O over and over again, you've got the Zozo Ouija board And they demon. covered that, I think, in a couple of episodes on Ghost Adventures. But at least one of them was like from season three. And they're like, Zozo. <laughs> So funny. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, for that reason, (laughs) 
they no longer keep the dark mirror in their living room. <laughs> and they, I just like do people just think like oh everyone else is really weak minded like it, do we just not believe that other people have had these creepy experiences? I, I don't know. I mean, I'd be like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> like I probably would, but I would be like, you know what I would use it for? Scooby doing. Uh, I used to do this when I lived at the mansion um, because the house was rented out by room. It uh-huh. was a spooky old polygamist house. Yeah. It was like very haunted looking and very haunted feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever somebody was like, oh, yeah, I heard about this property from the landlord and we didn't like them, we'd be like, oh, well, yeah, the rent's pretty cheap, but – that is the most haunted room in the house, you know, like There's somebody a was attacked so by cheap. a spirit. And then I'd tell them all the ghost stories from the house and then they'd be like, oh, I'm going to go you somewhere know, else, you know. Good. So it's Scooby doing them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I would be like, well, <laughs> so I was telling RJ, um, I have this haunted book that I got from like an old bookshop that literally I was there with one of my psychic friends and we were just having like a self-care day and I love bookstores and so does she. And they had like used books and I was looking at one and I turned away and walked across the room and she was like sitting on this like bench in the room and this book just yeeted itself off the counter at us, or, like off the bookshelf. And we just like, it, we heard it fall. Then we looked at each other and we were like, Okay, and so I decided to buy the book. Um, it was like had an inscription from a Christmas in like 1963, I think. And um, I took it up to the counter, and I was like, "Yeah, I want to get this book too." And she gave me a discount on something else. She gave me five dollars off of this other thing, which actually was how much the book cost. So I took the book home because I was like, obviously, there's like a little ghost attached to this book and whatever. And so I called it my "It's my haunted book." I have it at my house still. Um, and my boyfriend was over, and I had it out on like my table, and he like walked up to it and lifted up the counter, or lifted up the cover, and goes, "What's this?" And I was like, "Oh, that's a haunted book." And he was like, "Oh," and like dropped the cover, and was like, "I should just know better." So I would probably <laughs> do like one of those with him, like, "No, no, 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 don't touch that." Or just leave it out and people be like, what is this? Yeah, that's what I do. Like if there was like guests that like were coming over for some reason, I didn't want them to stay very long. Yeah. Uh, or I didn't want them to come over ever again. <laughs> I just like put the dark mirror out, put the sheet over it and then be and then be like, what's that? Be like, oh, that's the dark mirror. It shows you your own corpse. And then I'd pull the veil off. <laughs> no, I think I think I would start with the veil off to begin with. Like I would like take it off, especially for when they came come in. Oh fuck! And I'd be like, like, oh god, oh god! Yeah. It wasn't supposed to be like that. Like I would just really oh, no. scare. You didn't them. look at it, did you? You, did, you didn't look at it. <laughs> that would ensure a quick departure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Scooby Doo those people. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only do they not store the dark mirror in their living room, they also don't store it with the other haunted objects. Where do they keep it? They wrap it in a black veil, drape a rosary over it, and lock it in a wooden chest. And when they did that, the other objects started to calm down. All I'm imagining is this mirror inside of a wooden chest that has a key that, like, they've definitely lost. And it has, like, several rosaries, like, wrapped around it. And then underneath that, there's this, like, shroud that's, like, tripled up. And they have this chest, you know, inside of a storage unit. And then Storage Wars finds it. (laughs) (laughs) Storage Wars. And Barry's like, Ghost Adventures Edition. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's just this one chest where they're like, oh, it's got to be something good. It's got to be something good. And they bet yeah. like $5,000. And they, they look inside it. and they see their own fucking corpse like in the mirror. And they're like, it's going to wrap this back up. This Should is the last time. Have bought that. Any, if it's tied in a rosary, don't fuck with it. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good rule. I'm not really like to me. Rosaries don't do anything, but you know. But I also, think... like, and I when I watch those like storage because I weirdly like them. I, I weirdly like, like too, watching yeah. people unpack all the random junk from mm-hmm. storage units, and uh, just imagining the, the one of those guys because they absolutely would just be like, "Well, we got to find out what's in the chest." Yeah, you it's have like, to know. Razor knife the rosary off and like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, smash the box and <laughs> fucking do pull anything it they out. could. Yeah. And be like, oh, it's a sheet. Well, there's something heavy in here. What if it's jewelry? And then look inside and be like, this is weird. They'd be like, I'm going to take this to my friend. My friend is a rock person inside yeah. his pawn shop. And he's like, dude, I'll give you 80 bucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the pawn shop owner is like, just please take this from me. <laughs> he calls two days later. You gotta, you gotta take this. You gotta take this somewhere else. He's like, I can't break it. Every time I go to break it, it shoots electricity in my arms. <laughs> there are people. There are people looking at me. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm just that's that's what's gonna happen to this fucking mirror someday. <laughs> Just yeah. imagine Storage Wars finding this museum of the paranormal storage. <laughs> so, ah, there's the haunted doll. I mean, I think my favorite like version of this is that they stopped paying for the storage unit. <laughs> yeah, just, and it's got it's been like months they and they just, just haven't bankrupt. showed up. Yeah. yeah just the Museum of the Paranormal just not dragging customers like it used to. Yeah. He's, he just is like, you know what? I don't know what to do with any of that. Maybe this. the haunted stuff gets way too haunted and he's like, you know what? Put it in a storage unit, not paying for it. It can be storage wars problem. Yeah, and they just like <laughs> intentionally do that. And all along, it was actually the mirror trying to end up in the right hands for world domination. Yeah, probably. I'm pretty. I'm pretty invested in this like alternate reality. This, but... this is a horror novel we could write. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we could do this. We could. I could write this screenplay. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> so. Uh, we need the bowl <laughs> wrapped up in this box, and uh, the other like stuff calmed down. So the museum curator has a theory mm-hmm. about the mirror. He believes that it's some kind of spiritual battery, like an amplifier. Yeah, that's like, what I was gonna say. Like it contains captured spiritual energy, and it can like emanate it. Sort of like how like Serbo-Croatian cultures buried their dead with a mirror. Uh, to trap their soul inside of it so that it wouldn't, like, come out and start haunting the living. Um, so they still display the dark mirror in their museum. And you can go see uh, pictures pictures of it. I went to weekinweird.com to, like, learn about this story. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's just wild. Definitely look up the traveling museum of the paranormal and occult because they've got some – Spooky, <laughs> spooky fucking objects. I would, yeah, I really want to go see. Um, the other thing I want to add in about it being an amplifier or spiritual battery. So in the first episode, we were talking about, or the first episode in the series, we were talking about um, the, what were we talking about? it. Well, so how the women see 
um, either a man or like their decaying corpse, right? Oh or, yeah. Oh no, it yeah. was the Greek one where they look in the mirror to see if they're going to die or not. Oh yeah, yeah. The, On the, the well, the temple of Ceres. Yes. Uh, where they like lower the mirror into the fountain and then like look at their reflection. And the I was like, well, that doesn't really seem like predictive. It just seems more like a manifestation of your unconscious mind of mm-hmm. like what you think is going to happen. Then that's what you that's what you see. That's what you project out. And that's how kind of I feel about the mirrors. I don't because I don't get like I mean looking at it, it's spoopy i don't know that i would want it but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel demonic to me it doesn't feel like something that i'm like "Mm, no we don't want to do that that's not a good thing it just more feels like whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it so if you're sitting there inside of the if you're sitting inside of a cell of the penhurst asylum thinking that you're gonna see a shit ton of ghosts Probably that's what you're going to see in the mirror because it just amplifies whatever you put into it. It's like that's obsidian. Obsidian is glass um, and it's a protective and grounding stone, but it's also a stone that you can put things inside of. So it's probably just this like powerful amplifier that people pick up on. And um, people are really fucked up. Like I don't know if anyone knows that. I don't know if you're like aware, but like humans on like a very core base level are just – fucky and so probably whatever you're anticipating to see from the mirror whatever fears you have it amplifies that just as much as like it amplifies the good things so it's kind of this i don't know i yeah i would agree that it's like an amplifier or battery versus like a consistent spirit because if it was one singular spirit people would be having the same experiences and that's not what happens yeah it's it seems like a lot of people are having the same experience of like seeing their own decaying corpse, but you see that in almost all of these like mirror ghost stories, right? Well, because it's what the... what you fear the most, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, also, I think it has to do with the the prosopagnosia thing, mm-hmm. where you appear as a stranger because you're like font like your things face, are, yeah. your face changes, and even with um, Troxler's fading effect, like you see holes begin to appear in your face um, <laughs> when as parts of it start to fade away, as your mind just like erases out information it deems irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it can very much look like a fading corpse. Like when I was staring in it, I saw a big hole over my left eye like I was looking at a skull. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I looked, my eye returned because my focal point changed. And so Troxler's fading stopped. So it looked like I winked almost. Well, and RJ and I were talking about this, obviously. We were talking about scrying and how you scry with mirrors and kind of how that works. And um, I think that there is like – a super basic misunderstanding of like utilizing scrying objects because um and I don't uh when I read um I don't need outside focus like I don't need to use cards I don't need to use scrying objects I don't need any of that to read because I can just read I like just am tuned into my second sight I hear things I just go into reading I like turn on my reading mode and then I read and then I don't need anything else or I like to use other objects I think it's fun to do like tea leaf obviously and scrying and tarot cards I think that's all awesome but I don't fundamentally need that When people use them for scrying, they also do not need them to scry. Like when people are scrying in a mirror, they're not literally having that stuff show up. They are basically giving their first sight, your like physical sight, something to focus on so your second sight can work. So when they're doing other oracle work like um, Cassandra, I guess, is a really good example of that, that she was blind. She was a blind seer. So um, I don't know if it's, like, fairly common, but I do know of psychics that used to blind themselves to make them more psychic. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's also, like, a huge – 
I guess, uh, reoccurring trope in folklore around the world, mm-hmm. like Odin giving up his eye so that he can see better. Right. Um, exactly. Gain wisdom. So scrying is kind of a way to override the things that we would innately see in order to access that second sight. If you have someone who's untrained and trying to scry and thinking that something is literally going to show up in the mirror, well, then your mind's going to give you that because that's what has control and influence. So it's kind of like I would not recommend if you're like listening to this episode and you're like, I'm going to see some fucking ghosts. I'm going to get a scrying mirror. Probably don't do that because you're probably going to get really freaked out. Probably. Freaked out like when you play Bloody Mary. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's like the same thing. You're going to like see your decaying corpse because you don't know that – like you literally think that's what's going to happen when scrying and second sight is uh, a gift and a skill, a skill that has to be developed over time. Were you able to see like the corpuscles of the universe and like reach out to the divine one mind? (laughs) Okay. So – Weird, weird story. <laughs> so I do voiceover work and um, I have a Fiverr for doing voiceover work. And uh, I uh, think Fiverr is um, not good for artists uh, because – Yeah, I was not it, into Fiverr when I looked at just it. Just watch the Fiverr commercial for finding a voiceover artist and you will see how committed they are to exploiting artists mm-hmm. on Fiverr. Um, but people can order things. Like they can order me to do a narration and as long as they fit my price, I can't turn it down without getting some kind of punishment or backlash from Fiverr. Um, so this guy on Fiverr who goes by the name Zoroaster – Um, like orders something and he's like, I need you to read this physics textbook because (laughs) English isn't my first language and I think I'll understand it more if I can listen to it over and over. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then I start reading it and I'm like, this is not a physics textbook. It's actually (laughs) titled The Alchemical Manual for the New Millennium. (laughs) And I knew that it was going to be pseudoscience BS when <laughs> when it started talking about how um, like all substance comes from the plane of God, also known as the one mind, also known as the one, also known as the one power. Also known as source, also known as love, also known as whatever you want to call it. I was like, oh, great. So I keep reading. And it is infinitely complicated. It is more complicated than actual goddamn physics. I have to say, so I actually studied um, philosophy as a minor when I was in college, and I took a metaphysics course. So I understand, like, on an academic level, teachings about metaphysics. I also have taken so many classes and I have read so many books and I have like a lot of like theory and understanding of like metaphysics and how we are and who we are and what happens and where we come from and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I was listening to some of this last night with RJ and I was like, what in the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, just at, like, a very core level. I, like, I was listening to it. I was like, as a person who's somewhat of an authority on this, no. Just no. <laughs> my no. favorite My favorite was when uh, – well, the the other thing was I realized that the speaker of the textbook just claims to be a star person 
talking yeah. to us lowly earth people about reshaping that. our reality. I, uh, oh, God. Like, we star people do not experience time the way you earth people do. We follow the ST sphere alongside <laughs> the USMC sphere, and the US sphere equals the MC sphere, which creates the USMC sphere with which we dwell, and then we commune with our God. And this is a statement of fact. This is the fact of physics that we obey our God. And I was like, oh my fucking God, why am I reading this? I honestly thought this guy was punking me. Like, Did I, he write you back? Did he say anything No, he back? hasn't said anything back. But, you know, I've seen the video of, like, the bass player who's like, I got 10 bassists on Fiverr to try to play this impossible riff. And I'm, like, wondering if I'm being punked. And, <laughs> like, if they sent me this... I'm really wondering if you manual. are. <laughs> Just because it's so... It was so hard to narrate. And it was really poorly written. I yeah, think is the other like there thing. Were, there it were typos, hard. bad grammar, random things were just like capitalized. Well, not even like all caps. I mean, not even just that, but like there was no like cohesive explanation of theory, which is kind of what you need when you're explaining. And basically, what this thing was saying is that fate. It's like everything is fated. There is no chaos, which yeah, it I was, fundamentally disagree with. But it, okay, it was like if. Uh, a, a um, academic from like the 1200s <laughs> yeah. was trying to write a book about modern physics. I'm wondering if one of our listeners is like fucking with you. Maybe, you know, maybe it was that guy who got mad at me by the Ouija board on. Um, oh, my God. Yes. Maybe he just like found my fiver. Uh, my favorite part, though, was when it explained evolution wrong. Um, mm-hmm. It was like, well, uh, there are creatures that adapt to their environment perfectly because life is a self, self-adapting self process. Do you suppose that a butterfly is smarter than you because it can manipulate its DNA to look like the petals of its favorite flower? Of course not. The butterfly wanted to do that because it willed it to be so. It wanted to survive so badly that it reached out to the one entity, the cosmic god, and the cosmic god fulfilled this request. But humans, should a human want to fly, they get in an airplane because they trust airplanes. But if they wanted to, it is possible that humans could sprout wings and fly. And I'm like, that's not how evolution works. Evolution involves a lot of death. (laughs) Well, I mean, so I have – there's a person that I'm also not going to name um, who's a colleague of mine. And she and I were having a conversation maybe two or three years ago about – Fucking just love and lighters. And I, like, I call them that. I struggle with them because there's, like, this, like, lack of acknowledgement of things that are complicated, lack of acknowledgement of, like, chaos. And, like, I think that life is better when you are able to experience and be part of the dark parts. You can enjoy the light parts of life. And I think that, like, things are infinitely some shade of gray instead of ever just being completely black and white. Everything is very complicated. I think that life is better when you understand you make peace with the fact that things are complicated because then it's, like – You can just – there's a lot more that exists than in the binary, and that really bothers me. So love and lighters are people that are just like, love and light, the only thing I know is love and light, and the only vibration we have is love. 
Also, I kidnapped my child because I've just decided that oh, I'm yeah, going to kidnap my child. That whole thing. Yeah, like that was The like, sovereign citizen, like, weird, like, yeah, cult there, thing. Yes, there are people actively, like, in the community that I know um, who are just, like, so far detached from the world and are all about love and light and just decide to do really awful things because they don't have to, like, listen to rules and regulations. So I have, like, an issue with that. But my colleague and I, my friend and I, were just having a conversation about this and she's like you know I just fucking hate love and lighters like if you hate being here that bad and you're really so much better than the rest of us fucking walk into the next dimension just go just (laughs) fucking go like then just don't be here anymore if you're so tired of the limitations of human bodies and you don't have to fucking be here none of us do leave and I agree with that. Yeah, and uh, you you said that before, and that always conjures the image of Dr. Manhattan to me. Yeah. Like when Reiki people say that they can, like, charge themselves with the energy of the universe. And I'm like, well, if you can fucking do that, like, why aren't you fucking Dr. Manhattan right now? Like, why aren't you, like, full of this power and, like, you know, helping solve some of humanity's real problems? <laughs> Uh, uh, rather I, than just almost touching. Uh, I'm going to clarify what you said is like a very technical thing. So Reiki is actually channeling certain vibrational frequencies that are healing vibrational. Ah. And so you are not charging with them. You are channeling those energies and giving them to other people. So so, so the power comes from the force and the force lightning no. is just the channeling of. No. No. Mm-hmm. No. And there are technically two different vibrations of Reiki energy as well as many bastardized versions of uh, Reiki energy. I'm just I'm just saying, like, I believe in Reiki. I believe in healing. And um, those people, the people who do, like, healing and Reiki, I do not believe are part of that. But I most definitely feel like if you're an energy worker or a witch or some sort of spiritual person and you talk constantly about how you don't have to abide by the rules of, like, human dummy, you don't have to suffer and all of that shit, then why are you? in poverty? Why are you not in hospitals actively healing everyone? Um, If you can do that to the extent that you're saying that you can instead of acknowledging that you're a human that just like is part of a greater unconsciousness and you're here to serve people, uh, what the fuck are you doing then? (laughs) So. I tire of this earth, these people. Just walk off of it. I'm tired of getting caught in the tangle of their lives. <laughs> I imagine like, sometimes, but then go work at a desk. I guess I imagine people getting these, like you know, like the person who's growing the bird arms because they reached out to the cosmic power, and the cosmic power said, "Okie doke." Um, like look like Doctor Manhattan, like at twelve oh five p.m., a, a severed torso that's part skeleton appeared at Area Fifty One and vanished. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe <laughs> just it- them like leaving. <laughs> Like humanity. Well, you know, maybe like um, in our last series when we talked about people disappearing and using psychics to find them, maybe the psychics can't find them because they just walked off the planet and they just went somewhere better. Yeah. Just... That's like, um, you know, L. Ron Hubbard when he died and people were like, he no longer needed his body and he transcended into the next plane. Uh-huh. Like that. Like that. Heard that shit before. It's like, oh, she's not dead. She's just astrally projecting. <laughs> We have some questions because if that's true, why not just take your body? Well, I guess Edith's body did go. That's re the home of truth episode. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I guess Edith's body. Her body did disappeared. Go. Disappeared in, in a fire uh, that Marie Ogden started on her own. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> 
So wow, that, people are crazy. That is the story of The Dark Mirror, a case of catoptromancy gone weirdly awry, I guess. <laughs> Kind of, but not really. I don't know that anything, I mean, other than people being upset, but we don't even hear about, like, did anyone go crazy and kill anyone? No, I think the, so, the only person who was any kind of serious victim was the mom, the mom of the woman who donated But we don't it. even know if she's recovered from that. And my guess yeah. is she probably has. My guess is that she probably has some severe mental illness that was amplified by this, like, thing that she thought could give her answers. Yeah, just sitting in the fucking psychomantium all day watching it. Like, like why Netflix. wouldn't you be insane after that, right? I used to imagine like the little the little pop up, the like Netflix pop up that's like, are you still watching? Like, just checking <laughs> if you're okay. Like on, is- <laughs> on the dark mirror, it actually just appears as like inscription. Like, just like yeah. it has these like written words, and then it fades away when you hit yes yeah. and still watching. It's like fucking runes and <laughs> shows up. <laughs> are you still watching? Oh my god! Yeah, I. You know, I think in a lot of cases, people equate things that they don't understand to evil forces more more times than not. Like when people are like, oh, my God, I had a ghost in my house last night. My first question is, OK, when you saw it, were you scared or unsettled? Like, were you terrified? Did you have a bad feeling? Or are you just like, mm, that's weird? And like most of the time people are like, oh, that's weird. And so I just think a lot of the times like in the work that we do and spirituality in all of this, the vast majority of what you're experiencing is the shit that you're putting out there. If you're severely mentally ill, fucking around with stuff that's very dark and mysterious is not going to make you better. Probably getting on some medication and going to the hospital and having some talk therapy is going to make you better. So stop thinking that haunted dolls and mirrors are going to be the answer. And that's, honest to God, my best guess for that woman. And I really hope she got some help. She probably, her daughter probably insisted that she get some help after taking away the mirror. Yeah, Yeah, probably. Uh (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, um, we could always uh, visit the traveling museum and we'll figure out where they're going to go. We're going to have to do it. Yeah. yeah I really want to know. I think Nick Groff is going on another tour. Uh, but I don't know. Like maybe I saw like an old bill that was like a canceled tour that they didn't update. Um, yeah. I don't know. I haven't since Nick Groff left um, Ghost Adventures, which I didn't even know it happened because I stopped watching it for a while and like caught up when they did like a big tour in New Mexico and Utah a couple of years ago. And when those came out, I watched them and I was like, hey, I know that woman. She's my friend. Like one of the yeah. psychics. I was like, oh, my God, I know her. I got to text her. Nick, come to Utah. Go to the come home of truth. Yeah. Come to the home of truth with us. It'll be cool. That would be really spooky fun. fucking ghost town. You'd love it. It's got all the spooky Should we ghost at shit. Nick Groff? We should this. at Nick Groff. And be like, we want to know. On this episode. Yeah, we should. Like, Yo, Nick, there's a spooky mummy cave. Um, Dude, I wonder, though, if, like, if they have the money backed by, like, a bigger, like, the Travel Channel or something, if there would be a possibility that we really could go do, like, a more thorough investigation or if people know more about it. Like, the guy who owns the Home of Truth, like, the homestead part of it, like, if they could pay him and he would, like, let us tour or go look or something. Yeah, I mean, his whole goal is to, like, turn it into an attraction. Yeah, what better way than having Nick Groff of Ghost Adventures fame do it with some podcast hosts? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So now that we've talked about (laughs) the hauntedest scrying mirror. Yeah. I mean, there are other haunted mirrors out there, but I think this dark mirror is probably the hauntedest one. Um, The... (laughs) 
we're going to talk about the little little black scrying mirrors that we carry all over with us. We're going to do some black mirror scrying with the old black mirror with an iPad. <laughs> Right. This um, catoptromancy psychomantium reading is for uh, Alexis Howlett, who is a scholar of ancient Greek studies mm. and lover of antiques uh, and generally um, history. Um, so I thought this would be good to use the uh, method based in the ancient Greek uh, necromantion uh, for her reading. Mm -hmm. And her question is, uh, is there anything for me in New York? Also, my grandma passed away two years ago. I watched it happen. She was in a death rattle for hours and her eyes were closed until the last 60 seconds of her life and she opened her eyes up and she saw my family. I guess, if it's possible, I want to know if she saw us or what she may have saw. She looked scared. She was an atheist, so it's hard to imagine what she was experiencing in that moment. If the spirits have any answers, I'd love to know. Okay. Okay, so first things first is um, I'm like really, really drawn to looking over uh, my right shoulder back behind me. And there's like this, um, it's like a presence, I would say. I believe it's your grandmother. Because there's this like feeling of... Um, sadness and grief but then also of like um support and excitement and um yeah so kind of what it is is that your grandmother uh, wants to come and talk for a bit but then also she has an answer to your question about New York and um literally when um RJ was just reading the question of is there anything for me in New York I just got this like really sly smile and this of course <laughs> just like yes of course there is so we'll talk a little bit more about that but first I want to go to your grandmother so the first thing I want to say is I get this question really really commonly about what people go through when they die kind of what happens what they go to what that looks like um so a lot of times when people are crossing over they um just have they when people cross over, if they are sick for a long time, if they've been dying for a long time, that kind of stuff. Like if you're in the hospital, you know you're dying. If you have cancer and you're sick, um, a lot of times you start spending more time on the other side and on this side. So a lot of times when people are in the hospital or on pain medication, you know, everyone says, oh, they're saying all sorts of crazy stuff. Actually, they're really on the other side. They're not really here anymore and they're ex experiencing things and they kind of come back into their body and start saying stuff and start talking about their experiences. Um, when ghosts are on the other side or when they're about to cross over rather, you have your friends and family and the people who know you, they come across to take you with them. So when people cross over, they aren't going to nothing. They aren't leaving anything behind. They're going towards something. A lot of times um, when people are dying, when they're crossing over, they will stay around longer for the people that are here. They will try to just hang on a little bit longer because the people that they love here want them to stay. They don't want to let go of them. So there's this like time period a lot of times where there's this pulling feeling of needing to stay behind but being pulled ahead by your friends and family. So um, what she's showing me is 
She knew she was dying. She knew that that there was more, that there just had been more to it. She didn't really have an understanding of there being more to afterlife or more to the other side. Um, and she's saying it afterlife. There's no, there's more to afterlife, not that there's more to heaven, not that there's more to hell. There's more to afterlife. The things that happen basically in between this lifetime and the next lifetime, which she's explaining to me as she understands that there's um, – like she's calling it an incubation period of when you cross over before you get incarnated again, that that's kind of the afterlife or the in-between. She's calling it the in-between. Um, and so she didn't really have a good understanding of that until about six months before she passed away and she started having dreams. And she started um, – I don't know if her husband died before her, but she's saying like a partner, a husband was coming to her and showing her, kind of preparing her. So she had some time to prepare before she died. Um, and when she opened her eyes, she really wasn't looking at the family around her. She was looking at spirits, and it just felt like the entire room was full of people around her. There's just all these spirits, all these people, um, and she loved them, but it was just overwhelming. Like, I can see her opening her eyes and just kind of looking around and being like, where the fuck am I? What is happening? Um, I wouldn't say that she was afraid. It just was kind of this trying to make sense of what she was experiencing and not having a lot of language for that, not really being able to understand it or explain it to herself. And then when she crossed over, she was like, Oh, okay, I get it. Um, and I actually think by the time her body died, she was already crossed over. She was already on the other side. So it was like her body just kind of reacting to letting go. Um, she's fine. She is not afraid. Um, yeah, I am not afraid. That's like the very specific message. I am not afraid. Um, and she has like friends and family surrounding her with her kind of showing up for you. It's like this like half circle of people supporting you. And I'm seeing animals in particular. I'm seeing like a little white fluffy dog that's not like little, little, not chihuahua, but like uh, maybe like 20 pounds, 20, 15 to 20 pounds, small white dog uh, with her as well. So I don't know if she had a dog or who had a dog, but there's a dog with her on the other side. Um and she just, I think, she was so relieved to find out that there's more to it and that she had enough time and that there is time for her to um, make up for the mistakes that she's made. Because there's a lot of feeling from her of this guilt or this remorse or just this kind of she could have and should have done more, but she didn't think it mattered. A lot of the things in her life, she didn't think it mattered. She felt like she didn't matter in a lot of ways. So she was kind of like, yeah, this is fine. It's whatever. So there are a lot of things that happened in how she raised her children, in career stuff and things with her friends where she felt like things just didn't matter because it was easier for her to detach from that meaning than it was to acknowledge the things that she was experiencing. So she's really relieved to be on the other side and find out that there's like all of these lifetimes and all of this time to figure out what she's doing and to um, to repair that, to handle the things that she regrets, to really approach those things. So she's very relieved and really happy. And um, she's kind of – she's um, giving me this kind of – funny, sharp wit, kind of explaining like being with you and being witty and being um, – a little bit of um, a troublemaker with you. And that's kind of a big thing for her is that she feels like she, you guys would have been really good friends if you had been friends when you were both younger. Like if you were both in your 20s, it would have been really fun. And she also would have been a different woman if she'd grown up at the same time as you. So there's this kind of feeling from her of like relief that you get to have a different life than she did, but also this feeling of um, – some remorse for the life that she kind of gave up, that she feels that she gave up because of her choices. So 
that's her main thing for you. And then with New York, now I'm going to look more into my mirror. As I kind of explained, um, when I do scrying, and especially when I'm talking about mediumship, it's like I don't necessarily need a mirror to do it. So that was more just like a medium message from your grandma. Um, so now for New York. So there is in this mirror, there's a reflected blue light that's on the ceiling. I think it's attached to maybe a projector. And the more I look at it, the more it kind of changes um, shapes. And I keep seeing a star. It's like a blue star. Um, and I'm hearing, I see, seeing stars, seeing stars and like being, being surprised or being taken kind of unawares, but not in a negative way. It's like seeing stars, but not as like not like a cartoon character like getting hit over the head or anything <laughs> like that it's more like um like the little emoji where you have star eyes and you're just excited and there's good stuff and that's kind of what i keep saying but there's something very specific about the blue star if blue star means anything to you it's a sign to me um that there's a there's a blue star for you in new york i think um yeah that's like the thing is like there's a blue star for you in new york i don't know exactly what that means but i don't think i'm supposed to um There's also shadows in New York. Um, there's a lot of parts of you that you need to go and contend with, that you need to handle, that you need to go show up and really get, yeah, a better handle on or approach or get some sort of understanding. And um, not understanding what is calling you there is not the same thing as not being called there. Trying to add logic, trying to add all of these little parts where you can justify this choice to go there doesn't make it better or easier. It just means that you're delaying the inevitable. And part of you knows that you're being called there for these really positive reasons really positive reasons and part of you knows that um you want to stay away because it's going to be really difficult and there are huge parts of yourself that are negative that you have to break down and it's a lot of like negative self-talk or kind of this um this i don't know how to, i'm trying to figure out how i want to say it um there is a lot of growth that you need to do when you are there and that you will have to do regardless of where and when you do it. It's just that New York will give you better balance on the good and the bad and that you'll have equally as many good things, if not more good things than you do bad things. You're just afraid of it because it's this like caught between like you don't feel like there's a good choice because you know there's going to be some pain either way. But going into the pain and knowing that you're going to handle things that way and that you're going to face all of your fears, you're going to face all of these things that are complicated and hard for you puts you in a much more empowered position than trying to run away from it as if anything is motivating your is if anything is motivated by fear you're not empowered so even if you're afraid of facing all the shadows even if you're afraid of facing all the negative things going into them and knowing that they're there and knowing that you have the courage and bravery to handle those things puts you in a much better more empowered position even if you still have to handle challenging things versus running away from them because they'll still find you but you won't be in the empowered position to handle them i think that's all i have hmm. Well, uh, Alexis, if you get a second opinion from a carnival magician with milk-white moon eyes who hands you a bag of popcorn full of glowing green worms uh, <laughs> and you find yourself on a peach, uh, you're probably going to New York. Yeah, yeah. it's probably going to happen regardless of what you do. There's going to be a centipede and he'll sing a whole song about it. It'll be great. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, a James and the Giant Peach reference. For those, yes. <laughs> for those at home. Still a really creepy <laughs> children's movie. I, I love 
I loved it. Yeah. The music isn't that good, though. No, it's The not. music could have used work. But I think, you know, Alexis, I think you've got some really fun and exciting things. But avoiding the negative just because they're negative doesn't mean it goes away. It means you're putting it somewhere else. So you might as well take the good and the bad together and hope for a little bit more good. Well, uh, Alexis, I hope you got a good reading. <laughs> I hope that was helpful. Um, y'all hit us up on Patreon and Elle will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Patreon.com slash Mansi. Also, if you like the show, please share it with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. If you liked my writing, you can pick up books at rjwalkerpoet.com. And also, if you want to hire RJ to read a fake metaphysical text, you can find him on Fiverr. Yeah, apparently. and he will absolutely find do. Me on Fiverr. I've got a profile on ACX. If you need an audiobook narrated, um, he says if this person wants the whole book narrated for a thousand dollars, he'll still do it. So you know, yeah, let him it'll, know. it'll be a struggle. <laughs> it's it's worse than reading like at least like when I'm reading like a like a technical manual, like uh, instructions for like how to make jet fuel for example I would read it and I would be like well there's people in the world who understand this so Mm -hmm. I can just act like those people Uh, but reading the alchemical manual for the new millennium was like nobody understands this like I don't know how anybody could understand this except for maybe the person who wrote it I don't think they understand it either because they don't know how to form sentences half the time like yeah instead of reading that book i don't know like go like do hallucinogens in the desert and save yourself some time hey instead of reading that book (laughs) hit me up for a reading like book an hour reading with me and we'll just chat about everything in the world and that will probably be a better uh use of your time if you do want to order a reading from me you can find me on my etsy at laurels of lux or on my twitter at laurels of lux if you cannot afford a reading follow me on twitter i do giveaways constantly i'm always pulling cards for people um also if you really really desperately need a reading and really really desperately can't afford it shoot me a message on um, twitter or etsy and we'll talk about it also check out the new mancy website mancypodcast.com the music was provided by in order of appearance hayden fulker arthi vinka miyu and scott buckley with special accompaniment for my creaky plastic headphones 